Rumpole and the Quacks by John Mortimer Adapted by Richard Stoneman Starring Julian Reintart as Horace Rumpole Good morning! Uh, Hilda, please. Close the curtain. Up you get, Rumpole. Nicholas has gone to school and you didn't even say goodbye. Uh, Is something uh, wrong? I'm dying, Egypt, dying. Give me some wine and let me speak a little. I think you had quite enough Uh, wine last night. Time to get up. (coughs) I'm staying in bed. And if Henry telephones, tell him that Rumpole's life is ebbing slowly away. Oh, I'd better call the doctor. Call nobody. My head felt as though I just received a short back and side from the mad axeman of Luton, and a number of small black fish seemed to be swimming before my eyes. An evening session in Pomeroy's had ended once again, I regret to say, with Henry the Chambers Clerk and me recalling the great hits of Dame Vera Lynn. So now I turned my face to the wall, closed my eyes, and knew what it was like to stand loitering on the edge of eternity. And how is the great barrister law feeling now? (coughs) I was awoken from a troubled doze by a short man with large, melting brown eyes behind heavy spectacles. A stethoscope dangled from his neck, so I made the obvious deduction. Doctor? Ramat, sir. Dr. Gulam Ramat. Bachelor of Arts of the University of Bombay. Well, Dr. Ramat, I am feeling like death. Temporary, sir. A purely temporary indisposition. No need to fly the flag over the old bailey at half-mast yet a while. Tomorrow there will be rejoicing. The crowds in the streets will be cheering. Word will go round. The great barrister-in-law is returned to us stronger than ever. I can't imagine anyone saying that. Hilda... Did you tell the good doctor that I'm dying? Oh, we are all dying, sir, but at quite different speeds, you see. Now, will you do me the honour to let me listen to your chest? A few deep breaths, if you please. Yes. What a lung you have there, sir. It's a pleasure to hear your hearty breathing. No doubt about it. You will go on forever. Really? There's nothing seriously wrong. Nothing at all. I diagnose a severe attack of the collywobbles, brought on by food poisoning, perhaps. Food poisoning? (laughs) For which I prescribe a strong black coffee, Mm. quiet day in bed, and even more than the usual kindness and consideration from your lady wife. No, (laughs) more than the usual. Well, that shouldn't be too hard, should it, Hilda? Let me show you out, Doctor. Oh, yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, goodbye, sir. Yes, goodbye, Dr. Ramat. Thank you so much for coming. I imagine you want Rumpole to stop drinking for a few days. Possibly weeks. Oh, no. <laughs> I would never prescribe any kind of prohibition like that. Good man. Good man. What a charming, sensible quack. Or so I thought. But events were soon to occur which placed considerable doubt on the charm and sense of Dr. Ghulam Ramat. Mr. Ravi. Uh, yes, Dr. Hill will see you now, room five. Oh, uh, thank you. Excuse me. Now, I hate to make a force, but I was here before that gentleman. I know, Mrs. Flynn, but you're going to see Dr. Rama. Oh. Mr. Ravi's with Dr. Cogger. Oh, oh, I see. Now, will I have to wait much longer? No, I don't think so. Dr. Rama's usually very quick. Oh, 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 oh,
Well, I think Dr. Ramat seems to be free now, Mrs. Flynn, if you'd like to go in. Is there someone else I could see? With no other GP available, Mrs. Flynn entered the consulting room of Dr. Ramat and found him looking shocked and rather nervous. I went to the surgery myself later in the day to pick up a prescription for she who must be obeyed. The waiting area was almost empty, but I noticed a smooth young man in a shiny suit who was trying to close a briefcase that was packed full of pill bottles, and I assumed he was a rep for some kind of pharmaceutical company. When Dr. Cogger came out of his room, the young man gave him a sycophantic grin, which was acknowledged with a small wave as the GP saw me waiting. Hello there, Mr. Rumpel. Ah, Dr. Cogger, good evening. You're looking well, which makes me wonder why you're here. <laughs> yes. Dr. Ramat promised my wife a prescription to bring down her blood pressure. Uh, let me see where he's got to. Now, hang on a moment. Cogger was the hearty type of quack who once played rugby football for Bart's and regarded a head cold as the mark of a wind. Sorry, Mr. Rumpel, I fear Dr. Ramat's gone home. There was something of a, of a fuss earlier today. Oh, really? What kind of fuss? I'm not really sure what happened. I'll try to find out in due course. Now, can I prescribe something for your wife's blood pressure? I'd recommend a new drug I found called Repremitol. It became clear what had happened that afternoon when Miss Marietta Liptrot sent in a complaint about Dr. Ramat to the General Medical Council. But I would only hear of the details a little later. In fact, I had a conference in a type of litigation that was new to me. Until then, I had never appeared before the General Medical Council. But Dr. Ramat had telephoned me and told me he was in trouble. He was now waiting for me in my consulting room. In all this trouble, I have one thought to comfort me. I know an absolutely wizard barrister at law. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I describe myself as a wizard. Of course you are, sir, and you'll defend me on this dreadful charge of molesting my patient. Yes. How could I be accused of such a dreadful thing? That's what we're going to find out. But first, tell me, how are you getting on at the Gloucester Road practice? Oh, it's been going very well since I arrived in London. Everyone's been so welcoming. Mm -hmm. Dr. Tim Cogger in particular. He's a thoroughly good man and an excellent doctor. Are you an excellent doctor? Oh, I don't know. I try to be kind and cheerful. I suggest an appropriate treatment and I wait for the disease to go away. I'm afraid the complaint from Miss Marietta Liptrot will not go away. What did she look like? Ah, I have a photograph. Here. Uh, this little cutting. Uh, the first time I ever got my name in a newspaper. Mm, which one? Oh, the Daily Beacon. Yes. Children's nurse Marietta Liptrot only had a sore throat, but Dr. Gulam Ramat made her lie down on a couch, wanted her to pull down her knickers. Oh, God. Yes. Dr. Ramat said, I shall fight this every inch of the way. Oh, and this is Miss Liptrot, is it? An attractive young lady, but uh, I didn't take a shine to her, Mr. Rampur. Hmm. Do you have a wife? I had a wife. Uh, lost her five years ago. Uh, hepatitis. I'm so sorry. Now, what's our defence, then? Uh, the same as in E.M. Forster's fine work, A Passage to India. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Um, just remind me of the plot. An English lady accuses an Indian doctor mm. of attempting to rape her in the Marabar Caves. Yes, and and what was his defence? That it all went on in her fevered imagination. I see, I see. And how did it work out? He was acquitted. And you will enjoy a similar triumph, great barrister at law. <laughs> well, let's hope so. <laughs> We've got to remember, though, 
that book was a work of fiction. I brought the doctor down to earth by trying to get his exact clinical reasons for asking a patient who had come in with a sore throat to remove her knickers. His explanation was a revelation to me, and made me wonder if we might, in fact, have some kind of credible defence. After the good doctor had departed, I wandered out into the passage with my mind set on a little refreshment at Pomeroy's. The door of Erskine Brown's room opened, and out stepped a well-groomed, neatly dressed, grey-haired lady, who greeted me with an over-friendly smile. Mr. Rumpole, isn't it? Um, possibly. I've been so longing to meet you. I'm Heather Whitaker, Mr. Erskine Brown's new pupil. Yeah. I'm absolutely dying to hear you on your feet. Really? Yeah. Then why not pop along to the General Medical Council? I've got a doctor in trouble. Oh, I'd love that. Now, what's your doctor been up to? Do tell me all the gory details. The day after meeting Mrs. Heather Whitaker, Mrs. Phillida Erskine Brown knocked on my door. Come on, Mr. Rumpole. I'm taking you out to lunch. How lovely. We're off to the Savoy Grill. Are we? Oh, for any good reason? We're going to spend Claude's money, and I hope he finds that boring. It was not until we were seated on the plush and had our hands around a couple of cocktails that Phillida started to unburden herself. Mr. Rumpole, hmm. tell me honestly, am I boring? Oh, whatever gave you that idea? Could anyone describe me as being a rut in which they currently find themselves? Don't be ridiculous. What about humdrum? Would you call me humdrum? Hmm. Well, let me think about that. I didn't need to think at all. I just wanted time to look at her. Reddish hair inclined to gold. Her face like a pre-Raphaelite model. As I admired her from across the table, the only wonder was how she had come to marry a character as unexotic as my learned friend, Claude Erskine Brown. Humdrum? No, I don't think I could call you that. Men are all the same. Are we? I'm not sure I'm exactly like Claude. Oh, perhaps not you, Mr. Rumpole. You see, you're not really interested in it. It? Everyone else who happens to be male seems to think about it all the time. Sex. Oh, sex. <sighs> Take Dr. Ramat. Apparently a woman only has to wander into his surgery with a sore throat and he's trying to molest her. Just like Claude. Hmm. Oh, I'll get him, though. I'll cross-examine the life out of him. Claude? Dr. Ramat. He'll be struck off for ten years. Uh, why this sudden interest in my client? I'm prosecuting your client. Oh, first rate. I'll have a foeman worthy of my steel. Foe woman, Mr. Rumpole, please. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't know how you can defend a person like that. You know I have to defend just about anyone. But you couldn't defend a real snake. I don't think Dr. Rahman's a snake. I'm talking about Claude. What's he done now? I found this magazine. Casanova. Look at these photographs. Oh. <clears throat> My God, have these women no shame. And then this. Barrister, good-looking and young at heart, in a rut, bored with the humdrum of married life, seeks a new partner for the occasional fling. 
country walks, opera, three-star restaurants and all the other pleasures of life. Tall and slender preferred. Mm. Right with a photograph, if possible, to dot, 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 and there's a box number. Read it for yourself, Mr. Rumpole. I think I'll need another martini. I'm sorry, but how do you connect this with Claude? It's obvious, isn't it? He's a barrister and he goes to the opera. There are thousands of barristers. Quite a few of them also go to the opera. I don't think, Mrs Erskine Brown, that your evidence is absolutely conclusive. The magazine was in his room in chambers, Mr Rumpole. What further proof do you need? Ah, well, things are beginning to look rather bleak for the accused. Bloody Claude. He can't even be unfaithful without advertising in a sordid little rag. You'd never do that, would you, Mr Rumpole? Be unfaithful or advertise? If the right situation arose, you wouldn't have to advertise. The right situation being? A woman, not your wife, wanting you. Would you give in to temptation or remain faithful to Mrs. Rumpole? Mr. Rumpole, would it be a mistake? Would what be a mistake? Another dry martini. Uh, maybe I've had enough. I've certainly said too much. You know that everything you tell me goes no further. I shouldn't complain about Claude to you. You of all people, Mr. Rumpole. I promised Mr. Ballard I'd let him have a draft opinion by the end of play. I, I'm sorry. Can we do this another time? Portia, come back. I'll settle up later. It seemed a shame not to order some roast beef and a bottle of decent claret, especially since Claude Erskine Brown would eventually be paying for it. Even without Portia's company, I enjoyed my lunch. I thought about what she'd said and also leafed through the pages of Casanova magazine. In the escort section, one of the photographs struck me as familiar. It was under the heading, Naughty Marietta will keep you company at dinners or business functions. And there was a snap of the girl. Her hair had been done over more elaborately than when she appeared in the Daily Beacon, but there was no mistaking the wide eyes and small, even features of Miss Liptrot, the girl who was trying to bring about the downfall of Dr. Ramat. Dr. Ramat's case seemed to follow me around that day, for glancing across the restaurant, I spotted the large, muscular and jovial figure of Dr. Tim Cogger, lunching profusely with someone I recognised as the fellow with the briefcase who had apparently been trying to flog his pills and potions around the Gloucester Road quackery. I raised what remained in my glass in salutations, but Dr. Cogger seemed not to notice me, or if he did, he chose to ignore my greeting. When I got to my room in chambers, I opened Casanova at the relevant page, found the telephone number I wanted, and dialed it. Almost simultaneously, I heard someone pick up at the other end, and someone else enter my room. Ah, Rumpole, you're back. Hello, Marietta speaking. Uh, sorry, carry on. Is that the naughty Marietta escort service? What? Yes, sir. And am I speaking to Marietta Liptrot herself? 
Are you from the newspapers? Oh, no, 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 I promise you. No. I'm just someone looking for an escort. Um, I heard from a friend that you were a very uh, companionable young lady. Oh, well, I suppose that's all right, then. Is this for a uh, function? It is, it is, yes. Uh, but it's not for me, actually. A colleague of mine wants to take you along to add a little colour to a ladies' night at the Christian Lawyers Society. Rumpole! <laughs> I'll have to call you back with the details. Yes, bye-bye, Miss Liptrot. Is that your idea of a joke? You shouldn't have been standing there listening to a private conversation. I couldn't help hearing that you were using Chambers' telephone facilities to call up an escort agent. Of course you could help it. You could have beaten a hasty retreat. Rumpole, you're a married man. Oh, that has not escaped my attention. I don't ask why you should feel the need to do that sort of thing. Good. Now, if you don't mind closing the door as you leave... Don't you think you ought to make a clean breast of it to Hilda? A clean breast of what? The fact that you're troubled by... those sort of urges. Ballard, goodbye. Yes. Oh, no. I dropped in to say something. What was it? Uh, get off the phone? No. No, obviously, yes. But also, um... I've had a word with Mrs. Whittaker, the new pupil. Yes. It seems you've asked her to take a note for you in that medical case of yours. Are you sure it's not distasteful for a lady of her age and upbringing? She can resort to a blindfold for the more sensational parts of the evidence. Earplugs for the summing up. It, the trouble with you, Rumpel, I never know when you're joking. When I was finally relieved of Bollard's company, I continued a close study of infectious mononucleosis in the Principles and Practice of Medicine, a vast tome I'd taken out of the library. Then I called on Mrs. Erskine Brown to return the incriminating magazine she'd left with me in the Savoy Grill. There you are. You forgot this vital piece of evidence. I'm so sorry about today. I can't imagine what you must think of me. No. No, you can't. What are you going to do to the unfortunate Claude? Confront him with this copy of Casanova? He'd plead not guilty. Come up with some flimsy defence. No. No, Mr Rumpole. I shall trap him. I shall leave him absolutely no way of escape. The phrase, you're beautiful when you're angry, is rarely true. But on this occasion, the Porsche of our chambers was very, very angry. And consequently... Very, very beautiful. How's your chop, Rumpel? Mm, very, um, meaty, Hilda. Mm. I've arranged for you to see Dr. Cogger. Why on earth have you done that? Oh, you certainly can't see Dr. Ramat. I don't know how you can defend a man like that. He is a man in trouble who needs someone to defend him. Why have you arranged me to see any kind of doctor, in trouble or not? Because I've been told that your behaviour in chambers has been strange. Strange? Who says I've been strange? Sam Ballard rang me. He's worried about you. What have you been doing, Rumpole? Mm, I was phoning up escorts. What? What did you say? I was, I was feeling out of sorts. Mm. Huh. Then you should definitely go and see Dr Cogger. I've made you an appointment for tomorrow evening. Just for once, you'll have to give Pomeroy's a miss. Do you think you can manage that, Rumpole? Do you? Of course, Hilda, of course. More wine? No? Just me, then. <sighs> Mrs Darby, Dr Hill will see you now, room five. 
you. Oh, pardon me, miss. Oh, Dr. Cog is still busy, Mr. Rumpole. He won't be long. No, 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 that's fine. Um, it's just this magazine I found over there, hidden under a copy of Punch. Well, what is it? Oh, Casanova. No, that shouldn't be in the waiting area. It might upset the patient. The surgery hasn't taken out a subscription, then? Certainly not. As a matter of fact, the cleaning lady found it in one of the doctor's rooms and I told her to throw it away. Mm. The advertisements are rather interesting there. You could find yourself a friend. I wouldn't want a friend like you find in there. Uh, sorry to keep you waiting, Mr. Rumpole. Do come through. Ah, Dr. Cogger, good evening. Uh, what seems to be the trouble? Well, failing eyesight, perhaps. I thought I saw you having lunch at the Savoy Grill, but I must have been mistaken because you didn't seem to recognise me when I raised my glass. Well, the Savoy Grill? That's a bit out of my class, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, do take a seat. Uh, say it wasn't you, then. I hardly think so. Now, it seems your wife made this appointment. Now, what does she imagine is wrong with you? Well, someone told her I was behaving rather strangely in my chambers. Uh, let me write this down. Uh, behaving strangely. Now, uh, what exactly were you doing? I was ringing up an escort agency. You mean young girls taking them out to dinner, that sort of thing? That sort of thing, yes. My dear Mr. Rumpel, I shouldn't let that worry you in the least. A lot of men, perfectly decent chaps in my experience, feel the need for fresh company. It doesn't mean they're sick in any way. It's perfectly natural. Is that what you think? Yes, it is. Yeah, I thought it might be. Did you? Uh, well, I saw that magazine, Casanova, in your waiting room. Oh, oh that? Well, I can't think how it got there. Full of advertisements from escorts, companions, people for nights out on the town. Is it? I didn't look. Oh, your receptionist said it was found in one of the doctor's rooms. <coughs> well, Mr. Rumpole, my partners are big boys now. I really can't be expected to nanny them. Perhaps I should have tried, though, when I think of the trouble poor old Ramat got himself into. But I digress. Uh, what would you say your problem is uh, medically? Medically? Mm -hmm. I can't sleep. I seem to wake up around one o'clock in the morning and worry about poor old Ramat, as you rightly call him. <laughs> My dear Mr. Rupper, why should you worry? I suppose because I'm defending him. You are? Hmm. Oh, I hadn't realised that. Well, perhaps we shouldn't have been talking about the case. I've been asked to give evidence. For the doctor? For the General Medical Council. I just told them what I knew. I certainly don't want to make things any more difficult for Ramat. Look, I'll write you a prescription for some sleeping pills. I found some new ones called Zopidone, which are really excellent. I'm worried, Rumpel. Oh, dear, Erskine Brown. Worried. And frankly mystified. It's Philly. Is it? Yeah, she's taken to calling herself the rut. The what? The rut. I come home and there'll be a note. Gone round to Margot's. So I don't bore you to death. Signed, The Rut. Where do you think she calls herself up? I have no idea. Do you think it has some uh, amorous significance? I rather doubt it. She's also begun to ask me about country walks. Say again? When are you going for another country walk, Claude? She knows that country walks are just not my scene. No, 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 they're not uh, groovy at all. They tie you out and get your shoes dirty. Whatever gave the idea I want to go tramping around the countryside? You're quite sure you didn't give her the idea? Absolutely not. Oh, I'm worried about Philly. Do you think she wants to see a doctor? I think she's about to see a dozen doctors at the General Medical Council. She and I are again each other. I feel much the same way, Rumpel. 
I left Erskine Brown sipping his glass of Chateau Thames embankment in Pomeroy's and took a bus home to the Gloucester Road. As I disembarked the number 49 and made my way towards the mansion flat, I saw Dr. Ramat hurrying along the street in front of me. Dr. Ramat! Hello! I called his name and he turned like a startled hare, but he managed a smile of greeting. Oh, uh, the barrister at law. <laughs> Looking extremely fit, if I may say so. I wanted to see you and ask some more questions. I did leave a message at the surgery. Uh, alas, I am seldom there now. Uh, the patients don't seem too keen on seeing me. Uh, but shall we walk along together if you're going in the same direction? All right. Um, first question about Dr. Cogger. Did you and he ever quarrel about anything? If I'm going to defend you, you'd better trust me. Well, uh, we had a few words once about the drugs... What drugs? He was always wanting me to, to prescribe some very expensive pills and potions from Marchmain Pharmaceuticals. Ah. Uh, I told him that my patients would be just as well off with a few kind words and a couple of aspirins. How did he react to that? Badly. He got into the most terrible beat. He went so far as to say that he didn't want partners who were so big ignorant on the subject of new drugs. I'm sure it was said in, in the heat of the moment and uh, he didn't mean it exactly. Ah, I have uh, reached my destination. Oh, the star of Hyderabad. I had a very good curry here just the other day. I'm sure I could manage a small plate of something spicy. Alas, uh, I have an appointment here of a private nature. Yeah. Good night, Mr. Ampol. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, good night, Dr. Ranat. <laughs> The headquarters of the General Medical Council was an imposing building just off Harley Street. In a large, square chamber sat 12 judges, mainly doctors, with Sir Hector McAuliffe presiding. He was a lean and elderly Scot, a distinguished sawbones, who looked as though he'd have found Calvin himself a bit of a libertine. I sat at a small table with Dr. Ramat, and at a table opposite were Portia and the prosecution team. Yes, uh, Mrs. Erskine Brown... Thank you, Sir Hector. This is a flagrant and distressing case of a doctor's violent and unprovoked sexual assault upon a young woman. You will hear from his victim that she called into the doctor's surgery with a sore throat and was told to lie on his couch, and when her knickers were removed, Dr. Ramat thrust his hand between her legs, tried to kiss her, and suggested that there was time for a quick one. Meaning sexual intercourse? Sexual intercourse is what we asked the committee to infer. Miss Liptrot screamed and had to struggle to free herself from the doctor's embrace. She pulled her clothes back on and was still shouting, the beast, the beast, as she ran into the reception area. There, she was seen by the waiting patients, by the receptionist and by Dr Cogger, a senior member of the practice, whom I shall be calling as a witness. She puts the case most fairly, Mr Rumpole, and Tim Cogger will also be fair to me. I am absolutely positive. Shush now, Dr Arnett. Sir Hector, I wonder if I might call Dr Cogger first. Dr Cogger was apparently well known to Sir Hector and to several members of the committee, to whom he nodded in a friendly fashion as he settled himself in the witness's chair. Yes, I have known Dr. Ramat since he joined the practice. I've always found him a pleasant and hard-working colleague, within his limitations. What's that supposed to mean? How did you react to Miss Liptrot's complaint? Oh, I was shocked. If a young woman came to you with a sore throat, can you think of any reason for asking her to lie on a couch and remove her knickers? <laughs> Quiet, please! I'm afraid I can't think of any reason for 
that. And then it was my turn. Dr. Cogger, you are no doubt familiar with infectious mononucleosis, commonly known as glandular fever. Of course. Is not a symptom of glandular fever a sore throat? It can be, yes. In fact, the patient may complain of a sore throat only. That may happen. But if you suspect glandular fever, you may look for other symptoms, such as swellings in the armpits or groin. You might. A competent doctor would do so. If he suspected mononucleosis, yes. So, when a young woman who complained of a sore throat came to a competent doctor, he might ask her to lie on the couch and remove her knickers so that he could examine her groin. I suppose that's possible. Dr Cogger, are you trying to assist this committee by telling the truth? Yes, of course. Then why did you tell my learned friend, Mrs Erskine-Brown, that you could think of no reason why Dr Ramat should examine the young lady in the way described? I suppose the condition you're suggesting didn't occur to me. You mean you're a good doctor, like Dr Ramat, but you occasionally forget the odd disease. <laughs> Dr. Cogger, if you were to prescribe some pills to a woman with high blood pressure, what would they be? A couple of aspirins twice a day? Don't be ridiculous. But I apologise. I'm no medical expert. Um, take my wife, though. What was it you prescribed for her blood pressure? I hardly think your wife's confidential medical records should be aired in front of this committee, Mr. Rumpel. Oh, she really doesn't mind, Sir Hector. I did ask her permission. Dr. Cogger, her current prescription is for what? I believe it's... Repremitol. Oh, is that an expensive drug? I haven't looked up the price lately. I have, and I can assure you it is extremely expensive. What about the sleeping pill, uh, Zopidone? Also expensive? I believe so. Are both these drugs supplied by the firm of manufacturing pharmacists whose representative buys you lunch at the Savoy Hotel? I occasionally lunch with Peter Kellaway of Marchmain's Pharmaceuticals. He's a personal friend. Really? And when you last lunched together, who paid? I can't remember. Hmm. Try to think. It may have been Peter. Or, or it may have been his company, March Mains Pharmaceuticals, the manufacturing chemist. Mr. Rumpel, we are here to decide if your client made a sexual assault on his patient. What on earth have Dr. Cogger's lunches at the Savoy got to do with it? It is a well-known fact that in any trial... Questions which may seem irrelevant at first lead straight to the truth, however deeply it is buried. Uh, you may continue, Mr. Rumpel, provided the next question shows some relevance to this case. Dr. Cogger, you said Dr. Ramat had his limitations. Did you mean he was unwilling to prescribe certain drugs? We had some disagreements about drugs, yes. I thought his treatment often old-fashioned. You mean he wouldn't prescribe expensive drugs from Marchmains? Some of the drugs I, I thought we should use came from Marchmains, uh, I suppose. I suppose so, too. Tell me, did you only get lavish lunches out of it, or did a little cash change hands as well? Dr Cogger, would you care to answer the question? Perhaps the witness should be warned that he needn't answer any questions which might incriminate him. Yes, indeed, Mrs Oscar Brown. Dr Cogger, please consider yourself duly warned. Thank you, Sir Hector. In which case, I think I'd prefer not to answer Mr. Rumpole's question. Dr. Cogger, was it not because Dr. Rahman refused to take part in your prescription racket that you wanted to get him out of the practice? It's very hard to get rid of a partner. Very hard, unless you can get him found guilty of professional misconduct. <laughs> Just look at this. Could you hand it to the witness, please? 
You'll see it is a copy of Casanova magazine. Uh, there's a page marked with a bit of sticky tape. Do you see? Yeah. There's an advertisement on that page. It's headed Naughty Marietta. Well, what on earth has this got to do with the case we're trying? If you listen, you will soon discover the answer, sir. Dr. Cogger, do you agree the advertisement is for an escort service? It would seem to be. Mm-hmm. And do you see a photograph of the young lady who calls herself Naughty Marietta? Yes, I do. Mm. Is that Miss Marietta Liptrot the complainant in this case? It, uh, it looks like Miss Liptrot. Mm, it is Miss Liptrot, the children's nurse who goes out to dinner for money. <laughs> it's rather like you, Dr. Cogger. Just what are you suggesting? I am suggesting that you paid this girl to stage the scene in Dr. Ramat's consulting room. The scream, the rushing out into the waiting room, the complaint, it was all an act, a put-up job, so that you could get Dr. Ramat out of your practice, because he wouldn't cooperate. Did you suggest she should complain of a sore throat, or was it just a bit of luck that Dr. Ramat suspected glandular fever? That's absolutely ridiculous! I didn't know the existence of Miss Liptrot until after the incident took place. Did you not? Well, this incident, we've heard, took place on March the 13th of this year. Now, will you look at the cover of that copy of the uh, Casanova magazine? What is the date there? Uh, January of this year. Yes, and you know where this magazine was found, don't you? We can ask the receptionist if you don't wish to answer. I know. Then will you tell the tribunal? (sighs) Apparently, it was found in the waiting room. Of your surgery? Yes. Thank you... Dr. Cogger. There we are. I'm done with him. You shouldn't have put poor old Tim through the mill like that. Nonsense, old darling. We can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. Miss Liptrot entered the room and took the oath. She was young, her eyes were bright, and she seemed, even in the circumstances in which she found herself, unexpectedly cheerful. You are Marietta Liptrot? That's right. And what is your profession? Well, I've got two jobs. I look after children, like a nanny, I suppose, only not quite so posh. And I go out with gentlemen in the evenings. There's a few of us do it in my little group. We named the group after me because it was my idea in the first place. Yes, I see. Mm. Now, I'd like to take you back to the day in question, the day on which you say an incident took place. Do you remember what happened when you went to see Dr Ramat? Well, he asked me to lie on the couch. And what happened then? He said he wanted to see if I had any swellings, and he asked me if I'd mind if he did a quick examination. Did he remove your underwear? No. I pulled down my knickers. He didn't touch my clothes at all. And then? I'm not quite sure. I, um, um, I think he went to the basin in the corner of the room to wash his hands. And what did you do? <laughs> well, I suddenly realised what I was wearing, or not wearing, and I ran out of the room screaming... Why did you run and scream? I don't know, really. I just lost control of myself. Had Dr. Ramat tried to kiss you? I'm sure he never did. And yet, apparently, you ran out of his room shouting, The Beast, the Beast! Do you remember that? I wasn't talking about Dr. Ramat. Miss Lubtrop, you made a statement to the General Medical Council to the effect that Dr. Ramat made improper advances to you. Well, (laughs) I've made such a fuss in the surgery, I... I felt I had to give some reason for it, otherwise you'd have thought me very silly, wouldn't you? But I always meant to tell the truth when I got here. And what is the truth, Miss Liptrot? The truth... The truth is that Dr Ramat behaved like a perfect gentleman. And a very good doctor. Sir Hector, in view of the evidence which has just been given, we do not feel it would be right to continue with the case against Dr Ramat. Quite so, Mrs Oskin-Brown. 
Mr. Rumpel, <clears throat> during the course of your cross-examination, you made certain allegations against Dr. Cogger. As I understand it, you suggested he joined with this young lady in a conspiracy to frame Dr. Ramat. In view of the evidence we've just heard, may we take it that all such allegations are now withdrawn? Unreservedly withdrawn, sir. Well, Dr. Tim Cogger is a fine man. He leaves this court without a stain on his character. My barrister at law will confirm this without a moment's delay. Well, uh, yeah. Do you agree, Mr. Rumpel? I, I suppose I do, yes. Not a stain on the doctor's character. So, this is how you celebrate your victories, Mr. Rumpole, mm. with a whole bottle of red wine all to yourself. Ah, uh, will you help me finish it off? <laughs> no, thank you. I have my shandy. Oh, yes. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, do you know, I think I shall reread a passage to India. Such a brilliant writer, that old DMF. Mm. So true to life. The girl withdrawing a whole story in court. The girl in our court, Marietta. Was I right about her? She was asked to tell that story by... Um... Uh, by Dr. Tim Cogger, undoubtedly. He did want to get rid of me. He thought I had guessed as to why he was wanting us all to use the March Main drugs. Because they paid him money. Simple as that. Money, expensive meals, holidays abroad. Mm. And you think Dr. Cogger hired Marietta? I'm sure he did. How are you sure? She told me. Oh, you talked to her about this? Certainly. I have uh, taken her out to dinner on a number of occasions. We go to the star of Hyderabad. It was not something I thought you would wish to know. Why? I knew I had the most brilliant barrister at law. I, I knew you would win my case, but I didn't want to win by rubbishing poor old Tim Cogger. Mm. I want to keep my partnership, you know. I want to get on well with the other chaps in the surgery, Dr. Tim included. So it seemed the best way out was to persuade Miss Liptrot to tell the truth, which is that nothing happened. It seemed to me such an easy way to win the case, but far too unsubtle, of course, for a brilliant barrister at law like yourself. But at least I managed, sir, to make an omelette without the breaking of a single egg. Hmm. I do hope in future my clients won't all get themselves off without any help from me. Just tell me, how much did you give the young lady to persuade her to tell the truth? I gave her, as you might say, all my worldly goods. What on earth are you talking about? Miss Marietta Liptrot is as charming and honest as she is beautiful. She has done me the honor of agreeing to be my wife. Really? Oh, yes, sir. And you and your good lady are cordially invited to the wedding. The reception will be at the Star of Hyderabad in the Gloucester Road. All the surgery will come, and I hope that you will propose a toast to the happy couple. Well, given the circumstances, I don't see how I can refuse. Good morning, Mr. Rumpole. Uh, good morning, Portia. Do you have a moment? Not really. This crossword won't complete itself. It, it's just that something rather embarrassing has happened. Yeah. Do tell. You know I was going to lay a trap for Claude. You told me, and I trembled for the fellow. Well, it didn't really come off. 
I penned a reply to the advertisement in Casanova and suggested a place to meet, Temple Churchyard, 7.30 last night. Asked if he could wear a red carnation and said I'd wear one myself so we could easily recognise each other. I believe that sort of thing's the convention. I popped along to Temple Churchyard and waited for Claude to arrive with a flower in his buttonhole. And did he? He didn't. Someone else did. Well, don't keep me guessing. Who? The new pupil. Mrs Whittaker. The very same. She was hanging about, looking at the inscriptions on the tombs, and then I saw it. A red carnation. Did you speak? I was too surprised. And then ashamed. Ashamed? Remember the advertisement? It said something like, good-looking barrister, in a rut, bored with the humdrum of married life. Yes, and you just assumed... I assumed the barrister was a man. I, of all people, jumped to the conclusion that a learned friend had to be a male learned friend. And, of course, Mrs Whittaker shares a room with Claude, so if she left her copy of Casanova on her desk... I assumed it belonged to Claude. Ah, so many assumptions. Oh, I was wrong, Mr Rumpole. It's Mr Whittaker who bores Mrs Whittaker, not me who bores Claude. Yeah, as if you could ever bore anyone. You know, perhaps we should take out a subscription to Casanova. I don't think it's the sort of magazine we should really have in Chambers. I also learned a lot from A Passage to India. Dr Ramat reminded me what a very good book it is. I read it at school. Memorised great chunks. Says a lot about friendship, don't you think? Yes. Wasn't it Mrs Moore who confesses near the end, I don't think I understand people very well. I only know whether I like or dislike them. That's how I feel. So you don't understand me? No. But you don't dislike me, I hope. You know I don't. Should we have another lunch? Or a dinner? Tonight, perhaps? Ah, Philip, there you are. I have good news. Yes? I managed to get tickets for Mahler's Seventh Symphony at the Festival Hall. Leonard Bernstein's conducting the London Symphony Orchestra. Uh, oh, how lovely. When? Tonight. Tonight? I have plans. I was trying to be spontaneous. I wish you'd asked me first. It sounds like a marvellous concert. I think you should go. Do you? Philip, come with me now, will you? Mrs Whittaker hasn't turned up yet, and I need someone to help with a rather interesting case. Uh, a Croydon Council planning application. Uh, just coming... Sorry, Mr. Rumpole. We'll find another evening. We shall. You'll have a jolly time tonight with Mrs. Rumpole, I expect. Oh, yes. Very jolly. Well, I've nearly finished this. What is it? Lamb chop? It's pork. Cheaper than lamb. Not quite as tender, but rather tasty, I thought. Hmm. Did you? When you say goodnight to Nicholas, we'll have some pudding. It's tapioca. Again? Hmm. How lovely. Oh. There's nothing in this world can make me joy. Life is as tedious as a twice-told tale, vexing the dull ear of a drowsy man. And bitter shame hath spoiled the sweet world's taste, that it yields naught but shame and bitterness. In Rumpole and the Quacks by John Mortimer, Horace Rumpole was played by Julian Reintut, Hilda was Jasmine Hyde, Dr. Ramat, Divian Ladois, and Marietta was Tracy Wilde.
Claude Erskine Brown was played by Nigel Anthony, Dr. Cogger, Stephen Critchlow, Ballard, Michael Cochran, and Philida was Cathy Sarah. Other parts were played by members of the company. Rumpole and the Quacks was adapted by Richard Stoneman, directed by Marilyn Imrie, and is a Catherine Bailey production for BBC Radio. And 